Heffy, welcome to a brand new show, show six of Mentally Sound here on Gravity Radio Northeast, and we have some technical issues. It's kind of obviously the always the case with these things, um, but we have an issue in terms of that we can't get any pre-recorded content because I can't get access to the database, which is super awesome. So um, I apologize for the the twenty minute delay, but we've been panicking trying to sort that out. Um, so I feel that it's only appropriate to be honest with the people who have uh, tuned into the shows to say that that's the reason that there's been a delay, and I can only apologize for that. We've tried effort- effortlessly to try and deal with the situation. So how we're going to do this is we're going to um, sort of crowbar in doing a lot more live stuff. We're going to try and fix this on the go as we're doing some musical stuff as well, uh, and we hope that you kind of just uh, appreciate the difficulty that we're under and that we've tried our best behind the scenes. So I really do apologize, and I hope that uh, that it's not that you don't hold it against um, because we are trying our very, very best. So um, so anyway, uh, on that note, uh, I would like to introduce... Uh, you were on two shows ago, wasn't it, the, the last one? Um, was it the one before? I can't remember. Before? I can't no. remember either. <laughs> was it um, because the it... years flying? By yeah, yeah. It was why. it was so memorable that I. Don't... Um, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it really, it really was. I really remember. And yes, it was two shows ago because we had Richard Kirby on last week. Yeah, who, uh, last, last month, month. Sorry. Yeah. Um, who was doing the? Um, who was doing all the? Who was talking about all the the stuff that he'd done for for mental health uh, uh, for his mind thing? But welcome, Sharon. Anyway, uh, thank yes, you hello. So much I'm for Sharon Rice. Yes, Sharon that, Rice. That's a proper introduction, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit hectic, as I just explained. <laughs> um, you know, when, you, when you're essentially trying to write a two-hour show in a ten-minute period of realising you don't have a show, that's a little difficult. Um, but how have you been since I last spoke to you? Are yeah, you, really, is everything well? really good, really busy. Um, but we're going to talk about that, I, I obviously, think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, obviously, Especially yeah. now we've got a bit of time because yeah. of the technical <laughs> yeah. errors. We've got but, literally uh, time to kill. <laughs> the <laughs> audience great. will be so pleased yeah, to hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's like having an encore you no one wants. <laughs> 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 um, but yes. I can't it. say that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I always love it when... Um, you see in, in, in comedy shows when they kind of go, you know when they do the, like in DVD, DVD, uh, whenever you watch DVDs and they go, you know when that charade, when, we, when everyone knows it's a DVD and they go, well, let's do an encore. And it's like, yeah. no, it's all prearranged. Uh, I love that idea. I'm just like, we want more. Well, we've kind of been told we want more. Like, you know, yeah. I always find that very funny. But um, so, yeah. Um, so congratulate because did you have the Laughter for Lasses? Like, um, did you have the the money set then, like the grant? Because I remember yes. you were talking about whether yeah, you were going right, to continue. Yeah. So um, that's when I came on the show last time was yeah. to plug the uh, Laughter for Lasses to The Return. <laughs> Which I was joking before we started. It sounds like The Return of the Jedi. Or, <laughs> that's right, yeah. um, well, we did sort two. of toy with a lot of ideas. We thought about the revenge, but obviously... Revenge of what <laughs> could be very misconstrued. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. Uh, <laughs> again, I've been all nerdy with my uh, references. I was going to say, yeah, uh, for, um, for those non-Star Wars know, people yeah. out there, um, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, so, like, yeah, so we, we had gotten funded from uh, Comic oh, awesome, Relief, yeah. um, and the showcase for that went ahead on July the 14th, which was to coincide with Disability Awareness Day. Oh, yes. So, uh, we, we, so mentioned that on, yeah, we mentioned that on the show, yeah. It went really well, and uh, we'll be performing some of the sketches live right here, so stay tuned here. <laughs> right here, on right now. Gravity <laughs> Northeast. Yes, awesome. But yeah, no, that's, that sounds, that's, I think, so congratulations. So how much, how much uh, is it set in stone? 
I thought you were going to say how much money did you yeah, make. Much, I was going to yeah, say no, money, your yeah. business. Well, I'm just determining who's buying the dinner after this. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, McDonald's no. is up the road. Yeah, so that's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's quite easy. But yeah, Ooh, up market for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's always Greg's as well, obviously. Yeah, oh, or, yeah. There, others, or other, other bakers other and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's other a joke bakers I do on my and other uh, fast, fast food, food chains are available. Yeah, I I joked about that on a stream I did the other week, where I was basically yeah, that's, that's a joke on my podcast, but yeah. Um, but no, um, so no, what yeah. I was going what I was asking you was, so how, how, so, much well, following on from, like, yeah, following on from, uh, Laughter for Lasses to mm-hmm. the return, yes, following on from that, um, we've, uh, Launchpad have secured further funding to launch Stuff and Nonsense, which yes. is going to be comedy and creative workshops for anybody. It's open to men, women, transgender, Fantastic. everybody. Uh-huh. So, um, that will be starting on Monday, the 7th of September. Uh-huh. It's going to be taking place at Broadacre House mm-hmm. on uh, Market Street East, next to the old poli- where the police station used to be. Awesome! So that's going to start on Monday, the seventh September. We'll be doing a Christmas extravaganza showcase. Mm-hmm. So, it, once again, the free comedy workshops, free creative writing workshops. So please get involved. For further details, see Launchpad's website. Contact Launchpad. Launch plaid, launch pad to book your pet place. I'm sure there's launch pad. I'm so pleased there's not a a P P, uh, stopper, the uh, the pinger to stop the popping for those are not in the uh, not in the trade. Yes, yeah, around the microphone. But yes, um, so launch pad. Get in touch with the launch pad to book your place, and you can get more information at info at laughinglasses.co.uk. Ooh, fantastic. You're all swanky with a, with a, with, a, with an email and everything. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so as you as you touched on, which is really awesome, you're going to do some live content. So yeah. what what so what was this from? Was this from the the show you did? This was from Laughter for Lasses to the showcase. Uh-huh. Um it's actually the material that we're going to perform is comes from the lives of the participants of the the girls that actually took part in the workshops yeah okay, and yeah. they contributed to the sketches um the sketches were inspired by them mm-hmm. so uh yeah they're very good very are funny. you still going through are you still because i remember chatting to you in the last the show we actually did where you said that it was about you know helping people who maybe are la- lacking confidence and have mental right. health issues is it yeah. still the same you it still is. got the same goal it's still the same goal yeah okay. to, for people to come along get creative have fun help their well-being, support them, and obviously, as I say, uh, let's just have a good laugh. Cool. Well, as you mentioned, you got some content, and I feel that we've, 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 uh, we've ignored her for so long that I feel it's only appropriate that we bring in to your, our guest... Um, Julie During. I was just trying to remember your surname. That was Because um, I was a little dyslexic, so I have to keep reading my script. But yeah. welcome, Julie. Welcome it, to the show. It's actually Julie Grady-Thomas... Oh my yeah. god! I I, oh my god! Yeah. I think you're thinking of neighbours or something. Moody company or something. written in my notes. Uh, yeah. uh, Down and Abbey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Me. yeah. Welcome, um, Julie well, Grady Thomas. Hi Hello. guys. Hi. How's Hi. it going? I'm good. I'm doing. I'm doing really, really well. Thank you for asking. Um, so welcome to the show. A huge thank you for. Huge thank you for being on the show. Um, thank you. Um, I think the first thing to say, because obviously the, one of the things that whenever people listen to my podcast and various other things, they mention I have an accent, and it's clear that you have one. I do. <laughs> so... yeah, I do not. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Not. It's, it's, it comes. <laughs> <laughs> How great would it be if you went? Really? 
Yeah, I don't have no idea. I have no idea. I've just found out now. Um, but yeah. um, I just I'm intrigued to ask you. So where are you where are you from originally? Yeah, uh, originally I'm from Massachusetts, mm-hmm. a town called Auburn, but mm-hmm. nobody knows that. So we just say Boston. <laughs> where yeah. Everybody knows your name. Yes, like yes. Springfield. Or Springfield. There you go. Well yeah, that's, done. That's, well that's done. what I always uh, think yeah. of. But yeah, so oh, awesome. So mm-hmm. um, so how how did you end up in the UK? Uh, well, I got married and my husband is from here. He's from Newcastle upon Tyne. Yeah. So now I'm here. Uh, his best friend married my best friend, uh, in Texas. And so we met there (laughs) (laughs) at the wedding. This this is taken on a a sort of, who do you think you are type thing. (laughs) 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 Let's trace the roots of how you got here. Um, yeah, no, that's that's really funny. But, um, but no, I'm, I'm I'm generally intrigued because obviously, you know, one of the things I find fascinating, and this is one of the reasons I love interviewing people, is just how and people end up in certain areas. It's just it's yeah. it's fascinating to know. Um, so, how did you get involved with meeting Sharon and, and the stuff that the Sharon does? Well, I've always been really interested in comedy and comedy writing, and it started back in the states. I was living in New York, um, took a couple classes, kind of put it away, didn't think about it, got a job, hated it. <laughs> Then decided to move to the UK, and I was like, hey, let's revisit this. And I went to a workshop, met Sharon, um, and then she invited me to help out with this, and now I'm here. Nice. Yeah, long story short. So when you say comedy, what were you you, um, excited by? Uh, comedy-wise, I, I know I've asked Sharon this. Is interesting enough. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you no, want to? No, I'm saying I asked, I've asked her before. Oh, you like, have asked, asked her. Before, oh, okay. Like, I don't know whether it was on the show, but I've definitely asked her before. But um, so I'm just intrigued mm-hmm. to know what your sort of comedy influences are. Um. Well, I I don't know really. To be honest, I've always been fascinated with late night American television. Like, oh, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, obviously Leno's not around anymore, but or Letterman for that matter. Or Times Craig are Ferguson. changing. Oh Craig my God, Ferguson, or Craig the Ferguson. Best, it, the best on TV. He was great. Uh, he was yeah, great. He was amazing. And uh, that's, what, that's where it started because I thought that was really accessible. Yes. But I've always had um, just a basic love for comedy. My favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time is Spaceballs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't oh, know if really? anybody else really <laughs> no, loves that. No, I don't that. know that Mel Brooks film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm a huge Mel Brooks fan, so that's awesome. Yeah, there you go. It's funny because when you mentioned Spaceballs, you know, because obviously Blazing Saddles and, and, and Young, yeah. Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is something we can talk on for a while. But um, one of the things I find interesting is that whenever you bring Spaceballs up, it's also it's almost sort of put on the back burner. I remember mm-hmm. Dracula Dead and Loving It was, I think, one of the first Mel yeah. Brooks films I saw because I'm, you know, I grew up in the 90s, so, like, I... I saw that film and thought it was the greatest film ever and then watched his back catalogue of stuff and went, yeah. this actually isn't as good as the stuff you yeah. did, but it was still fun, good. But I think he set the bar too high with certain films. But, totally. Um, but, so why particularly Spaceballs? Just, do you like the whole spoof genre? Uh, I love the spoof genre. Um, Star Wars was huge in my house growing up. I have an older brother. He's like five years older than me, give or take. And so when Star Wars was around, it was Star Wars everything all the time, and I just had no idea. I was told that my my little ponies or tiny horse dolls, because we can't say the names of things on here, can we? Yeah, anyway, yeah, we can? Yeah, okay, yeah. T- tiny say horse dolls. Want. Okay. Well, within reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, they weren't cool, and so I was like, why aren't they cool? What are you doing? It was just basically I idolized him, so yeah, yeah. There you oh, go. I don't, I don't blame you. Uh, I think that's <laughs> so yeah, um, so how did uh, I'll ask Sharon this? Uh, is just so 
how do you guys sort of write material? Because I always find that quite interesting. How do you guys approach that? Well, we haven't actually written any material as of yet together. Um, not together. Oh, not is, together. The, well, the, you have the, an, yeah, I'm assuming you have some sort of input in terms of telling the material you got now well, how to put it the, together. Yeah, the so. material that we're, we're going to um, perform... Um, yes. We're inspired. We're inspired by the uh, the girls that came to Laughter for Lasses to the return. So uh, uh-huh. they're actually were written by me, which mm-hmm. was a bit of a cheat. But um, yeah, it's actually been inspired by the girls, and it's the actual real life events that happened to them. And then we did, chatted about them, discussed discussed them, and then uh, put the the funny bents on them. Um, so. That's basically how how it came about. Whereas when we did Laughter for Lasses, the first uh, lot of showcases, um, the girls actually wrote their own material. Um, I must point out as well, Angela Slater, the Time to Change coordinator for the Northeast, uh, she'd actually performed her own material at Laughter for Lasses too. Um, she d- did uh, stand up comedy, which was her own material as well, and went down a storm. So she she was one of the ones who chose to write her own material where. The other girls wanted to sort of take a step back and just contribute, which obviously, as long as we have fun and they feel good about themselves, who cares if that's the outcome? Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so as, as, as we've been teasing for the last 10 minutes or so, you're going to do some content, so I'm quite excited. Any sort of, any sort of uh, you know, examples of what it is? Is it a bunch of sketches or anything like that? Or? Yeah, well, um, Julie and I are both going to do... A, very very short piece from monologues each and then nice. we're going to do a couple of sketches together mm. yeah so we'll just introduce each each oh, sketch like, as we go along i feel like i'm guest hosting saturday night live this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> um so without I feel, like without, take it away <laughs> without further ado <laughs> introducing yeah. okay so sharon and julie right. first up we we've go. got julie this one is called wind I've had a lot of trapped wind. I've been eating corned beef pie lately, and I think it's causing a blockage. I've been taking a colonic cleanser that I bought from the health shop as I wanted to get rid of the bloating because I have a big due coming up next Saturday. I couldn't face the prospect of a proper colonic irrigation. Paying all that money to have someone shove a hose pipe up your butt? No, thank you. My neighbor, though, Maureen... She said she'd do it with her vacuum. I tried to tell her that that wasn't how it worked. So she said she'd try it on herself and let me know. I'm still waiting to hear from her. This one's neighbors. Some new neighbors have moved in. I think they may be a bit rough. The husband, well, he asked me, do you know where I can get some codeine? I said, "Uh, yeah, I think any chemist. They have people round at all hours of the day and night visiting them. Visiting them or buying drugs. The people that visit them always have that annoying, horrible, nasally voice. You know what I mean. Ehem, man, you know how it is like. I'm waiting for me gyro to come through, man. They all stand out the front of the house and smoke and talk about how they're saving up for their next tattoo. I know. I can see and hear everything they do. Cause I stand at my bedroom window and look down on them, cause I'm a nosy mare. New home. How's your house coming along? Oh, I haven't seen you to tell you. You'll never guess what happened. E what? Well, 
The house is beautiful. I've got it exactly the way I want it, but some new neighbors have moved in, and they're right doylems. How so? Well, they're teenagers, and they've done nothing but party and be drugged up. No doubt sniffing the cream. Sniffing the cream? Yeah, you know, sniffing the anchor, the anchor squirty cream. Every dessert deserves a squirt. Ooh, I love that. What flavor? Probably the brandy one. Kills two birds with one stone. Though, one of them is so skinny, she needs to eat the full-fat version. But I digress. The music they were playing was something else. What do you mean? Well, I love rap music as much as the next person, but listening to Afromans because I got high on repeat for four hours is a bit much. I wouldn't care, but they were dad dancing. Not an easy accomplishment. How'd you know? Oh, because I watched them uh, through my kitchen window with my binoculars. The ones you got from that house clearance sale? Yes. They were goodbye. So what happened next? Well, it was a bank holiday weekend, so it all went quiet around 2 a.m. Ooh, that's good. Only to start up again at 3 a.m. with the best of Cheryl Cole. It was a two-song album. So what did you do? I thought, I've had enough of this. I'll go sort them. Did you knock on their door? No, no, I, I egged their windows. You never did. I did. Well, the eggs had gone past their sell-by date, so it was no loss, really. I bet that boiled them up. Did they feel poached? Did they have egg on their face? <laughs> Where have you moved to? Jasmine. And last but not least, good, good. Oh, hi, Sue. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good? I'm fine, yes. Just in the school run. Of course, it's difficult, what with our Tom having broken both of his legs. Putting him to school in that wheelchair up that hill is a nightmare. You? Yes, just drop the kids off in my new Range Rover. Oh, that's right. You've got a new car. How is it? Good, good. So, I'm coping. Good, good. Of course, it hasn't been easy after my mother's funeral last week. No? Good, good. I'm just off to collect the ashes. Good, good. She died in a skiing accident. Did I tell you that? No. Yeah, she was in a slalom race, doing quite well, seeing how she's 70. Then she hit a tree. I wouldn't care, but the prize fund started at 500 euro and she was in second place. Good, good. She was decapitated instantly, which was ironic, as her favourite saying was, never lose your head. Good, good. Then this morning, with summer being here, I had to finally shave my toes. Good. Didn't shave my legs, though, as since the divorce no one ever sees those. I say since before the divorce, but even then no one ever saw them. Certainly not my husband. Ah, yes, your divorce. Good, good? The settlement was rubbish. Good. No, rubbish. <laughs> yeah, solo, 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 encore now. <laughs> well, for encore, we uh... <laughs> now for the real fun. Uh, no, that was that. That was really awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, I sort of like. I feel like really, really uh, bad the fact that like I sort of left the room for emergency, like emergency reason. So like, I, I, but I, from the from what I heard, it sounded amazing. So. <laughs> 
So huge well, thank you guys you. for doing it. Um, <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, yeah. So just one more time just to mention how yeah. people can get involved and whatnot. Yeah, we've got Stuff and Nonsense beginning on the 7th of September, which is a Monday. Weekly workshops at Broadacre House on Market Street East, 6pm till 8pm. Free for comedy and creative writing. Book your place via Launchpad. Information via info at laughinglasses.co.uk. Fantastic. That, that sounds awesome. So, um, D- Julie, so what do you do outside of this? Like, I just wanted um, to quickly ask that. Like, yeah, got- totally. I, I do a little bit of stand-up. I'm just um, kind of getting used to it up here. I've got a gig coming up, actually, Tuesday, if anyone wants to come visit, Ooh, down what, what at the doing? Dog and Parrot. Dog and Parrot, yeah. Yeah, oh, long live oh, comedy. Mine Woo! and Sharon's old stomping ground, because we actually met, which Julie, which Julie might be intrigued to know, that I first met Sharon on the comedy circuit. I had um, no idea. Yeah, it was, but this was like... Go showing our age now. <laughs> it was like ten years ago or something. I was in I was in university, you know, it's like so it was like nineteen, so yeah, eight years ago, something like that. Something um, like that, yeah. Um because I remember when we first had Sharon on the show, I asked her if she was doing comedy and she said she was doing more sort of workshoppy stuff now, mm. not really comedy, but um so yeah, we met Very through cool. and uh my first gig was Dog and Parent. Um, oh nice. So yeah, it's kind of the the open the open mic thing that I've seen so yeah it's it's quite interesting but yeah well so, I expect you to be there so. <laughs> <laughs> I've been With there God story. knows how long <laughs> uh, it's it, yeah it's it, it's it's better than it was I, I know they had like a, a severe up, like an upgrade uh, oh, the yeah. room had an upgrade because I don't know how long you've uh, is this have you been before to the dog and parrot w- once like a couple weeks ago to okay. be honest yeah. as an audience fir- member though yes as an audience oh, okay. member yeah yeah never performing um, there so yet. when when I did it years and years ago and Sharon will testify to this because we we were on the sometimes on the same bill and um not a not a great room <laughs> like uh, it was it was like not a great room as in it just needed to be renovated and various yeah. other things but it really uh, I remember the worst gig. I think you were on but the. Th- I mean, the, the dog in part to be fair is a, is a brilliant pub. Oh no, I'm not. It's piece not of criticizing local history. It, yeah. yeah, no, I'm not. Cri- yes, I'm not criticizing the, um, it for that. Yeah, I just mean the, the, the room, room. Everybody, everybody that came to the room said, "Oh my god." It yeah. was like it was like you know think, how like bands say it's really uh, nice to have like a basement to play in. Like it literally yeah. felt like you were doing comedy in a basement. Like, <laughs> yeah. but it was mm-hmm. it happened to be like a loft. Yeah, I think it was the fact that the there wasn't a toilet door on the men's toilets for about five years no <laughs> way. i don't know if that's still the case so uh, i apologize about that <laughs> <laughs> any men need that was a private two. joke that went too far <laughs> um, there you go there you go yeah. but no um no so is it your first stand-up gig ever or no no i've done a, a few gigs at the stand um oh, yeah. and laughter yeah. for lasses and laughter obviously. for lasses obviously, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. um the first laughter for lasses and then the return yes so I yeah, I love that you called it that. The return, the return, dun, dun, dun. coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be part, part three. The name, uh, yeah. the name, the, the get your uh, get your ideas ready, and you can email them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the temple of lasses. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just, I was just the thinking of, of yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> etc. Yeah, yeah just come up but, with yeah. puns with film titles. Yeah, but yeah, so it's Julie's first week at the Dog and Parrot. So very good. Yeah, come visit. So what time? What kind of comedy do you do? Um, I think mostly it's just like fish out of water stuff. So basically, I just tell you about how I observe your culture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming I'm assuming there's some very funny things. I got asked that. Yeah. I got asked that a couple of days ago. The kind of what do you love about being English and what do you hate? And I was like, well, uh, I I love the sort of the sort of um, straight to the point attitude that we seem to have. I really don't like the sort of the sort of uh, reluctance to talk about anything serious. Like with mm, it, 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 yeah. that kind of 
really annoys me, but because I think, yeah. but yeah, having said that, I said I then got asked to compare it to American to American culture, oh, yeah. and I don't know whether you agree with this, but I often find it was like I, I'm kind of quoting Stephen Merchant when he was on Bill Marshall when he said that. I always find when I come to America that the users are still talking about issues that we dealt with 50 years ago, like whether we should have abortion, whether we should have all this oh, yeah. thing. It seems like you talk about stuff that we've already talked, we've already dealt with, yeah. um, and we're spending our time going, "What about this? What about what about this?" Whereas years ago, and costing a fortune for our health care, like <laughs> I know, keep yeah. working when you're not well, like let's just keep working. That's what you need to do. So, do you, do you, I mean, That's what crazy. is just as a quick thing? What is your what do you feel about your comparison? Like, do you like it more here for any particular reason? Or? Um, like, yes and no. I feel like the quality of life is better here. I feel like you guys kind of get what life is about, that it's not, you know, like, work until you're wicked sick and then keep working and then get sicker and then work some more. Don't retire, but die at work. Yeah. You know, I'm not... I, th- I think there's more to life than that kind of thing. Well, I think as we just touched yeah. on, I think the, with the the way the the health insurance is over in America, you just consistently have to work. So it's, I don't, I think yeah. you end up doing something you don't necessarily enjoy. Yeah. Like there's so many stories I read about a guy. Like there was a there was a quite a famous TV producer who came out of retirement because his wife got sick and he said I can't afford to pay to. to yeah, yeah. Um, which is just a bit ridiculous, but um, but yeah, it's funny you say that because a friend of mine who lives in Chicago said to me because everyone who works for my company are on holiday mm-hmm. and the first thing she said was wow you treat your vacations actually seriously like <laughs> because apparently americans just don't have any time off but, no um, it's weird i think the most uh, this is a huge generalization i mean yeah obviously where yeah, you go but, but usually it's like two weeks two weeks a year yeah that you get off well like we try and like take the whole summer off sometimes you know yeah. six yeah. six weeks hopefully is, is the but idea don't, isn't it uh, i don't know if the statistic still remains the same but only something like one in every four americans has a passport because they don't see the point of going outside mm. of the america i thought they yeah. just because no yeah. it's so fast but as, uh, what you feel to realize is everyone in america has a globe and it's got america on I don't think there's any other countries. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't Ooh, know. I, moved here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel hypocritical because my geography is terrible. So you know, um, but yeah, no, I was just, uh, that was a stereotypical joke in reference to the fact that Americans seem to not know their geography. But yeah. you got yeah, Julie. I, yeah, I know where I know where some things are. Yeah. <laughs> she got on the boat and got yeah. Uh, but it's all good. But huge thank you for coming on, Julie. It's been fun talking oh, to you. Yeah. Um, nice good luck with your gig. Good luck with your gig. Um, you. Are you are you scared? <laughs> um, I'm always like nervous. <laughs> like nervous. I wouldn't say scared. I'm being devil's advocate. I'm being the devil on her shoulder. That's are you scared? Uh, She's no. already done the return. Why yeah. should she be scared? Yeah, yeah. There you go. And you've done the stand, which I would argue, which I would argue is more terrifying. I'd say. Uh, yeah, like more, I, well, more difficult, I suppose, is a better yeah. way of saying. They're super legit. So I, I think I had only ever done comedy in a pub in Wales before that. You know what I mean? And it was really low key, and I knew everybody in the audience because yeah. I had lived there. Just trying it, yeah. Yeah, so to do comedy at some place like The Stand where, you know, there are lights and people you don't know in the audience and they flash a light at you when it's time to leave the stage and stuff yeah, like that. Have, was... you, have you ever heard about a gong show? And I'm sure Sharon's experience. Yes, yeah. yes. Have you ever done a gong show? No, it's... I will not. I don't think I could do that. That's really... Brutal. Yeah, um, I've been I've been to that. shows where comedians, for those that are listening who doesn't know what a gong show is, it's basically... It's a comedy show where you go onto the you go, you go onto the stage and basically the the audience have a have a basically like they can make like a noise to, like a drum noise to basically indicate or sometimes you have judges where they basically decide whether you're funny and that can happen in the first five seconds or you and basically the idea is if you're funny you're meant to go on longer but I remember some gong shows that were so political. 
that you you know if they didn't like you or thought that you were going to be good that the people would deliberately go come on and go and bong you in five minutes yeah. five seconds like and so you've not even got your first joke out or it could be just simply done as the way you look and you know the way that i look i haven't really changed in terms of that i have long hair and a beard and whatnot and i'm ginger uh is that as soon as they see me they'll go nah <laughs> and then no. move and move on um but that's because that's the perception you get with comedy it's like it's looks first unfortunately um but well i suppose it's in every aspect of life really not just comedy um but yeah no so yeah i'm glad uh, yeah try not to do them if you can (laughs) try not to do them they're quite brutal i mean but also but i suppose it's good to have on your resume that you won one so i don't know maybe it's a maybe it's a pastage steal or whatever that phrase is i just feel like can anyone ever really win yeah (laughs) we're all losers when it comes to the gong show Um, no, I never. I I I, I would uh, go on record just to say I never won one. Maybe I'm bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. My, my English bitterness is coming out. Uh, anyway, right. Uh, so thank you so much, Julie, for being on. Thanks, Sharon, oh, for the thing. You. Obviously, Sharon's going to be around as as co-host for the for the rest of the show. So what we're going to do to combat um, the, what we've been trying to do, sort of behind the scenes, especially when these guys are doing the comedy stuff, is that we've been trying to rectify the pre-recorded stuff. So we're going to play some songs right now. Uh, and when we come back, hopefully we're going to have the pre-recorded stuff sorted for the next uh, for the second hour. So, Hughes, thank you for sticking around. This is Mentally Sound at Gravity Radio Northeast. And thank you so much for tuning in. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Mentally Sound here at Gravity Radio Northeast. That was some music i don't actually know what it was because i was busy sorting this all out but hello hello guys thank you so much for tuning in uh we have managed god forbid even though i'm not really i'm not religious but i feel need to say that is that we've managed to fix the pre-recorded stuff doing it the original way that we did i know this probably bores you from a technical sense but we've managed to to fix it um which is which i'm super excited uh to do that so we're going to play some pre-recorded content now and sort of uh figure out the script as we go along so apologies if you're tuning into this and it's a little hectic it's because we started 20 minutes late uh, for those that missed uh, me saying that because uh, we couldn't get access to the uh, database here at gravity radio for some sort of technical issue um, so we've been doing some live uh, stuff while we've been fixing stuff behind the scenes so i'm delighted to say i can now play john lawler's part three interview uh for those who don't know who john lawler is he is the chief executive for the uh for the tynan we are trust and for the nhs trust that's uh, so quite an important guy quite a powerful important person and we've done the first two parts in previous shows that were really uh really well received um so we asked them some of the tough questions uh victoria and becky uh, did the interview for uh mentally sound and uh so we've done this over a three-part series so this is the final part of us talking to john lola uh, so i'm going to play that for you now and you're listening to mentally sound right here on gravity radio northeast obviously funding cuts across the board um but particularly in mental health services it's quite a lot in the media at the moment what areas do you feel would be most affected for you yep. if you did have money reduced or staying at the same level not increasing the inflation so i think what tends to happen is that the i keep talking about them the local clinical commission group so that's what now uh, that's the local bodies that are responsible for sort of like deciding what services to spend money on what they want those services to achieve um, so what tends to happen is that they have huge pressures on their budget because they have to decide how much to spend on gps how much to spend on hospital services how much to spend on community nursing how much to spend on mental health how much to spend on learning disabilities so the first stage of the risk to our services is how does the um, group of GPs and the managers that run the organisation decide which bits of money to spend less on, sorry, which services to spend less on. Um, so I think that tends to be the first point where you have the conversation. So our job is to then fight 
for the needs of the people we're here to serve. And so I think it's probably not very easy to say which ones are most at risk. It's more that issue. So if I give you an example, we have some services at the moment that are um, actually um, so distressed um, that actually we have two-to-one staffing all the time. So two members of staff supporting that person 24 hours a day. And you can imagine, therefore, how much resource needs to be committed to that person. So there's a tension, therefore, for commissioners, as we call them, how much do they spend on the large majority of people with mild to moderate mental health issues, and how much do we spend on people with highly complex needs, and ensuring, if you like, that that person with highly complex needs has got just the same human rights as the rest. Um, so I think I would probably say that there's a, there's a greater risk that we may not be able to provide um, uh, as good a service for the small number of people with serious mental health issues if the current pattern of um, uh, public money, uh, public spending um, continues. Okay. Um, so, well, obviously, part of the reason that um, it's been brought up for me was because there's been a lot of talk of cuts to, I was going to say CAMS, but obviously yeah, it's called sure. something different here. Children's and Young People Services. Yes. Um, and that's obviously sparked a lot of debate, including sort of petitions online. Yep. Um, do you feel like that sort of social pressure can actually reduce the perceived threat to these services? Yeah, I do. And, and a bit like what I was just saying about having um, national targets, I, I think that anything, personally, that puts us under pressure um, actually helps us um, fight the corner of the people that we're here to serve. So I'm very much in the, I might be a bit odd by this, I actually sort of quite welcome people being quite critical of us. So you were talking earlier about sort of people um, complaining, etc. Um, what we quite like, um, as well as individual um, stories, is people actually coming and saying, this is what actually is happening here. Um, this is what's happening for this particular group of people. So your blog would be a great example of that. Getting some real feedback to say, well, actually, he might be saying all that, but that's not what's actually happening here. Um, so I think, I think getting that um, feedback and challenge, I think actually sort of going back to my good, better, best, uh, the tension is for how people like me when I say we want to hear that, we want to fix it, don't uh, doesn't make staff feel that I'm not um, proud of what they do, or that I'm sort of like blaming them. Um. Well, on the sort of vague subject of staff, something that came into my head when you were talking earlier about how you want to get your staff talking about their mental health and whatever. Yep. How have you found occupational health in the NHS has changed to reflect mental health issues? Yeah, it's a good, I, I would say that um, certainly historically there was a great great focus on what you call musculoskeletal sort of conditions where so people have got sort of back problems, etc., etc. Um, I would say certainly for our organisation there's a very significant focus on, there's a very, very significant focus on um, uh, sort of anxiety, depression, burnout, frankly. Um, so we do have an occupational health service that does provide um, services to our sort of workforce, um, both directly and through sort of like... Um, uh, well, I suppose through accessing <coughs> services. So, for example, if somebody's got um, uh, a sort of depressive illness, um, they can be referred into the local, what they call, IAPT service, which is an awful phrase. Uh, it's improving access to psychological therapy. So it's basically people who can um, be supported by um, therapists um, who may or may not also find a help with their medication. Um, so I would say there's much greater focus on that. Are we getting to people quickly enough who are off work with those sorts of things? No. Are people yet feeling it's entirely okay to say that they're suffering with mental health issues? I think it's got a lot better, but I think there's a still a long way to go. And for me, one of the big surprises coming into this area was how 
even though people who work in mental health service every day um, know about it and understand it, how they're still quite reticent to talk about it. Because um, I sort of feel, well, if we, if we can't ourselves feel comfortable talking about it, what hope have we got? But that's not meant to sound like a criticism any of them. I think we are getting better. I mentioned before we started that we have these things called recovery colleges. They're um, uh, uh, opportunities for people, service users and carers and staff, to go along and talk about their issues and also, frankly, to run some uh, courses themselves. We talked earlier, didn't we, about the fact there are some things that we do locally in, in um, Newcastle, similarly in Sunderland, where effectively we just offer the facility, we make it available for free, and then folk come and run things there. So, sorry, just to interrupt, but um, when you say about, you know, the, the recovery colleges and all these other services and your cooperation with the community and voluntary sector, it does sound like despite the media uh, insisting that you know services are being cut we're losing this we're losing that and despite the fact that there are some genuine experiences out there uh, for people with mental health issues who haven't been able to access yep. the particular service they want or they feel they need or they feel they haven't been quite informed correctly what you're saying is actually quite a positive message that if you look for it and if it's publicized correctly there are actually plenty of things going on um, alternate things, uh, different ways to engage again for those people who do feel perhaps that disengaging is their only option because mm. they didn't get quite yeah. what they wanted, how they wanted, sure. when they sure. wanted. And I think I think there's a few things in all that. I think mm. the bit about I think you mentioned the like um, if they uh, you know when they access it. I think there's a big responsibility of us GPs and uh, others to make sure people know what's available and how to access it. So I mentioned earlier that we have this work going on in Sunderland South Tyneside, which can be rolled out across the rest of our Pratch, making sure that there's a guarantee 24-hour single access number to be able to say, if I've got a mental health issue, I've got a concern about somebody who has, that's the way into the service. Whereas historically, um, mental health just have tended to have lots of different routes in. Um, so that's the bit that's still work in progress. Um, I think the, the positive bit, I would agree that I think there's lots of positives. Um, but being really honest, um, we can see a day in the next two years where we'll be struggling to see um, how we're going to make sure we deliver at least as good a service as we do now um, um, without going into financial deficit. The board's quite clear, however, as am I, that if we've run out of things to look at to save money and deliver more, then we won't cut services. Um, but we are in an unusual place in the northeast. We we have two providers that are pretty stable, pretty pretty sort of financially sound at the moment. So we haven't had, for example, lots of people having to be um, admitted into hospitals uh, or up and down the country. We do have some people in our services at the moment because of a shortage of beds. Um, I won't name the areas, but in parts of the country that are 300 miles away, uh, <laughs> currently having people that are in our service. So there are huge pressures across the mental health system at the moment through a combination of lots and lots of um, uh, service changes, um, lots of commitment to try and work together um, and frankly um, relatively good investment in mental health services from our commissioners. We're, we're, we're in a pretty sound place but if you came and asked me in two years time would I be able to be quite so positive, um, uh, I'm, I'm a bit worried, put it that way. 
So obviously you're talking about there are services that are referring to you, and yes. you mentioned earlier that you're one of two trusts that are working with young women in trouble with the law. What sort of thoughts do you have on the sort of essential postcode lottery that yeah. it can be perceived at the moment? It's a really good point. We, dis- we discuss it a lot internally because, of course, we serve six sort of local authority patches, um, and obviously the services um, all grew up over many years. Um, there were different priorities in each of the localities, as is always the case in the NHS and in all large organisations. So there's a commitment as an organisation to trying to move to equity of access and of treatment and outcomes. The, the tension is, though, that the people who actually pay for the service in each of those six localities are different. Um, some of them have a reasonable amount of money to spend. Others have huge financial problems. Um, some have... Um, more interested in this particular area of service, say older people services. Some may have more interest in services for people with psychoses. So the actual ability to deliver a sort of equal service across the locality is really hard. Uh, and as you might expect, our clinicians sort of quite challenging to say, well, we don't think it's morally acceptable that we're offering a different service um, for this um, population than we are for that. Um, so it's one, something that we have to keep trying to do, our, do the best with. Um, so, so, so I don't think there's, there's an easy answer to that one. Because um, what we would be accused of doing is if we effectively subsidised a service with, I don't know, let's just say for argument's sake, Sunderland money, by strengthening a service in Northumberland, then quite rightly, the people that have got the responsibility for delivering service, uh, for buying services for people in Sunderland would say, what are you doing spending my money over there? So that's why it's a real tension. Yeah, because you mentioned, obviously, that you've got the same funding for Northumberland as, yeah. like, the more local urban areas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. And I think that issue is not peculiar to our patch, it's just an NHS issue generally. The, the, the difficult bit is, without getting technical, the way that the money flows is based upon an ass- assessment of need. So the population, based upon its age, um, sex distribution um, uh, to a degree, um, uh, um, poverty, etc., that's how the money's allocated. And there's not many other things that take account of differences in costs. So if it's, if it's more expensive to deliver a service in a much more... Um, uh, sort of dispersed geography. There's some account taken, but nowhere near as much as in an ideal world we'd want to be. And of course Northumberland's a a good example because it's the least densely populated um, uh, place in the country. Um, So so inevitably therefore it's an example of somewhere where we have the real extreme. Well sort of you've mentioned obviously the ageing population a couple of times. Um, Are you seeing increases in age associated illnesses even with obviously Northumberland sort of lower age expectancy um, and how's this sort of impacting upon the services individuals receive? Sure, a uh, couple of bits about that. I think first of all um, there's been a lot of um, attention in the NHS on what we call people, so what we call people with long-term conditions. Um, I think that that's been um, overly focused on people with physical health needs. So I have type 1 diabetes so I'm going to live with type 1 diabetes for the rest of my days. Hopefully I'm not going to live with recurring depressive illness for the rest of my days. Um, so I think what's tended to happen is we've focused on long-term physical health conditions. And then alongside that, we've had people suffering with dementia um, or living with dementia. And so what we have to do better is look at the person from the point of all of their needs, not sort of compartmentalising, saying 
these these folk will deal with the person's dementia and these folk will deal with their other um, physical health needs. So I think the reason I mention that is two things. One, there's obviously an ageing population, so there's going to be more people with a range of long-term conditions. And then secondly, we know that a person that's suffering with a physical health um, condition and a mental health condition um, actually requires an awful lot more services, so we have to spend more money on each person like that. So I think that, that, that as well as the ageing thing, we've got to work out how to make sure that um, services like ours are joined up with services at Northumbria Trust, at Newcastle Teaching Hospitals, at City Hospital Sunderland, at um, the QE in Gateshead, um, at South Townside South Town, South Trust. So I think um, as well as the ageing thing, it's about how do we join up physical health and mental health services. Um, and on the subject of dementia in particular, I'm currently studying at Newcastle University, so I'm sort of interested in, in how, whether you're still finding that new research does come to light improving treatments, and how does the potential for new research factor into the long-term plans for the Trust? Yeah, um, we, we're, we're quite a research-active organisation. What does that mean? Um, we put forward um, uh, sort of submissions, if you like, to be able to um, win um, research funding. Often with other um, organisations, both nationally um, and um, globally, um, because it's a quite a competitive process. There's, a, there's a, an, a fixed amount, generally, of research funding, of which the proportion that's spent on mental health and learning disabilities issues is a relatively small proportion, but growing, so I'm not moaning about that. Um, so the areas that we tend to focus on are ones that we're... Uh, got expert um, academic clinicians, which means they do research and may also deliver services to patients, and things that the universities are strong at um, in terms of their um, research uh, capacity and capability, and some of the acute trusts are good at. So, two areas that we're, well, three areas that we're really um, uh, heavily involved in research is um, dementia, um, uh, particularly into a, a type of dementia called Lewy body um, dementia sounds a bit technical, but effectively the um, uh, expert academics that work locally, both for the university and for us, are the world leaders in research into that and directly contributed to NICE guidelines that said, here's the evidence as to what interventions help. Second area that we're quite active is in autism services. Um, there's um, a lot of work to do to understand what interventions um, work for people with autism. Um, uh, and so we're involved heavily with things like positive behavioural support, uh, which is a particular sort of um, therapy that supports people, or, uh, also like not so much therapy, um, uh, sort of ways of supporting people. Uh, and then the third area is um, uh, what's called the Regional Affective Disorder Service. So that's a specialist service for people like me that's got what you might call a complicated version of depression. Um, and so that's another area we've got very active researchers. Um, and I think the other reason I want to do research, as well as trying to improve services, it attracts the best. Um, if we're known as being a, a, a very research-active organisation, you tend to find it easier to attract, particularly psychiatrists, but other sort of professionals as well. I think, sorry, I've just sort of stumbled there. Um, I think my last thing to ask, really, was obviously we talked earlier about um, you providing spaces and it being sort yeah. of up to voluntary organisations uh, to sort of help with them. Um, so sort of with many services from Samaritans through to things like Lifeline yeah. and student organisations like Nightline uh, relying on charitable contributions and volunteer support, how do you view that sort of voluntary community sector and sure. the trust working together? A couple of things. I think that we generally have pretty good relationships with most of the third sector organisations across the piece. One of my personal priorities since I've come though is trying to work out how 
we deliver more services together because some of the um, voluntary sector are there quite rightly as sort of advocates and champions for people with mental health issues, with um, learning disabilities, with neurodisabilities, and that's great and we need to be sort of working with and challenged by them. But there's also a number of them that are quite large providers of services in their own right. So where I want us to get to is actually sort of jointly providing more services because there'll be some things that a small third sector organisation that's supporting a particular group of people with a particular condition, they're always going to be better so sort of like delivering that sort of bespoke service. So that's a, that's the a sort of a thing that I'm out on manoeuvres on, if I can put it that way. I've been out to visit a number of the um, uh, chief officers, chief execs of some of the third sector organisations to talk about how might we do that. Um, but one of the challenges, of course, that their funding's um, potentially being cut. Um, uh, in one, one or two cases it has been. And secondly, which is one of my bees in my bonnet, um, if you try and get public um, to do uh, charitable works, to get money, um, how many um, charitable events do you see for people with mental health issues compared to how many you see for people with cancer, with heart disease, etc. So there's, there's a battle still to be won about helping people see what the benefits are of um, contributing towards um, third sector organisations that deliver mental health services. It does seem a bit of a shame that you do need to rely on sort of the volunteers and the people fundraising yes. for yeah. it though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think there is a real risk to their funding? Uh, I think, I, I mean, uh, I, I would say that a small number have actually told us that their funding is being reduced. Uh, and I, I won't get into, in, into who's having to do that. Um, but effectively, what some of them are then saying to us is, is there things that you could support us with? So, for example, there's this sort of like tendering process. So somebody will go out and say, this is the service that we would like to offer to this population. Um, here's the outcomes we want to deliver tell us whether you can do it. And then a range of organisations might put in proposals to do that. So one of the things we've been talking about with a number of the um, third sector organisations locally is we have capacity and expertise to actually put um, responses to tenders together. So we're trying to look at how we might actually do that sort of thing to support rather than necessarily being able to put direct money into it. Because obviously every penny we spend um, on something else, unless it's directly supporting our service users, means that we're not able to spend something on the ones that we're here to support. Okay, finally, um, it's just a sort of overall sort of question with, um, what would your ideal sort of holistic mental health service look like? What's your sort of vision of a perfect outcome? Wow, yeah, well, well uh, that's sort of quite easy to say, but quite hard to do. Mm. Um, I would say that every single person should um, uh, feel that they're being um, looked at as a whole person. Um, that we're not saying somebody walks in the door and that's a schizophrenic person, that's a diabetic person, that's a bipolar person, um, that's a, a heart, heart failure person. So I think there's quite a big cultural challenge for the NHS to make sure that we're looking at the whole person. And as I say, that's easily said. Nobody intends to not do that, but um, people are almost trained in saying, let's quickly get to a diagnosis. And that's right, because then you can work out what the best intervention is, but then it sort of sometimes makes you feel like you're having to go to loads of different places. Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentally Sound right here at Gravity Radio Northeast. Thank you so much, that was Nars Barty Crazy. The reason I put that into the show is because I was humming it for about a week, and I was just like, I have to have this damn thing. Um, uh, one of the things that we're doing, which is, which is like the most 
the most uh, quite personal this, isn't it? <laughs> hello, Sha- hello, Sharon. Well, hello. <laughs> um, we're bor- we're, we're um, we are we are bor- like we are you we are like sort of uh, sharing each microphone, which is going to be interesting. Also, I can't actually like who do I look at? Who do I, lo- who do I look at? Hello, I'm Sharon. I'm over here. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a strained neck for the rest of this. But anyway, yeah. Um, so huge thank you to John Lawler. That was the end of his uh, segment in regards to him being on the show. Um, so huge thank you to him. That was quite a big scoop for us to actually have him on the show, being that he's the chief executive of the uh, of the Tiny We Are NHS Trust. So that uh, huge thank you for him to to answer the questions. I feel he dealt with them in a relatively good way. And actually, some of the things he touched on, having listened to the whole thing, uh, is that he, he seemed to touch on a, a certain number of things where he admitted that like we need to do more for mental health, which I think is yeah. I think a, a really poignant point as someone who has mental health issues himself. But yeah, so that's so a huge thank you to him. But uh, what we're going to do now is this is time for Ricky and his mental health news segment. Hello, Ricky. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm, I'm all right. I'm here. At the council <laughs> something, yeah. <laughs> right, that's the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. We're here. Sweet. We're here. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should be our motto, shouldn't it? Sure. Mentally sound. Well, we're, well, we're here. here. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, we're, we're doing what we can. Yeah, that's that's awesome. But um, but yeah. So you're gonna. So Ricky is here every week to do some mental health news uh, stuff uh, to obviously talk about some of the mental health that's been mm. breaking news and whatnot, which is uh, was very uh, sort of interesting last month talking about a variety of different things. I think we touched on the main one we talked about last month was Charles Kennedy, wasn't it? That's right. We did a pretty good piece on yeah. uh, alcoholism, didn't we? Yeah. I thought we broke some ground there. Talking. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, that's awesome. So, uh, what have you got first this week? Well, I'll start off by, you know, talking about, did you know that fish oils has been recommended to mental health patients at all? Is I really wanted to answer that by going, do I ever? <laughs> <laughs> all I have is fish oil, like, because as soon as you go to my house, like, we don't like fish oil. Mm. Um, but no, so I it's do. not just for constipation? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, not for no. joints either, which is why I took them, but so this is a new one on yes. me as well. Yeah, yeah, you do for joints, I forgot that, yeah. yeah. Um, but apparently uh, a US study reveals that um, it improves symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently the EPA, which is the name of the oil which is found in uh, fish oils, okay. that combined with the omega fatty acids, that's the omega-3, mm-hmm. has been uh, effective in treating severe depression. Obviously, I, I imagine this is very early in the study, but they're very excited by this, which is why they're... So do you, what do you, how, do you, how do you use it? Do you just... Well, I think is it a skin ailment or something. I'm not quite sure what you mean by. I think there's a variety of things. Well, you mean how you consume like how it? You consume yeah, it? yeah. Well, I think it's just taken as part of your meal, isn't it? It's sort of. A, oh, so you add it to stuff, of yeah. course. Yeah. Okay. You know, I don't. I don't think you could take <laughs> it there you and don't then. Don't mean to take them as separate capsules or. Yeah. Um, cod liver oil. I know that within, if you're taking it for the joints thing, which which I was saying, I think it does count as part of your meal. Right. But if, in terms of mental health, it might have a different. Uh, they've not released that bit yet, but. Um, yeah, it's interesting whether to consume it with your meal or separately, or do you yeah. carry it around with you? The way my mind works, I was having this idea of that, like you, you, you bathed in it. <laughs> bathed. <laughs> you just like have fish oil. You know how like in this is the I, I, when I say my mind works, I use the word works rather loosely. Yeah. Uh, is that um, it's kind of a bit like when um, you know that. Cleopatra I don't know if you know. Yeah, I was going to say Cleopatra, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, yeah. In milk, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, no, what I'm actually thinking of, as I said, that was, you know, the one of the re- one of the things that they do to get you over phobias in in mm-hmm. hospitals is 
uh, one of the things that is the most effective, but obviously I imagine the most scary for certain people is that, you, like, for example, if you have a fear of spiders, yeah. the way to get over it is to do the most extreme form of that. Yeah. So yeah. You can, the exposure. So the exposure. Yeah. So one of the things that they got people to do, for example, was um, get a person who was terrified of spiders to be in a tub full of them. Mm. And basically this that kind of that kind of just overbearing approach to it. So you jump really in at the deep end. Have, then, yeah, yeah, literally yeah. having. Yeah, exactly. Like literally having. And just... you would in a cod liver oil. Yeah, bath yeah, and like, boom. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that almost is like we set that up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to me and Sharon do the two Ronnies. I <laughs> was set that up brilliantly. The two S's, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The two, yeah the two I was worried where you were going, but yeah, you yeah. you managed to get. get oh yeah, in, we yeah, planned yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. But yeah, no, that that sounds that sounds fascinating. Um, so I love the fact that we've brought a little bit of science like scientific yeah. type stuff to the show as well that's always that's always good so what else, what else do you have anything anything else well just just to finish off from that but uh, it's not only depression but they're finding out results within bipolar and uh, adhd as Ooh. well so well i'm intrigued i'm intrigued we will we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that one that's very interesting um, i always think i mean just to just to just to end this 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 thought mm-hmm. just to say you know i i always think one of the things i i'm i'm understanding this more as i get older but i do think in all seriousness that the the the, um that what you consume is really important for mental health like one of the things that i've learned as i got older that one of the things i would do was Mm -hmm. eat really fast Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know whether it was because like i felt like i had no time to enjoy food or whatever it may be but i found that like i I just ate too much food in one Mm -hmm. sitting so how i Mm -hmm. combat that now is i seem to find that i have a much more steady mood as in a positive one, like as one where I feel like I can at least cope with what I'm going through yeah. by taking my time over food. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I, it, I, you know, what's interesting about this is I feel, I still feel embarrassed. Like if I'm with my friends, they eat really, really fast. And I like, if I like order a burger as a boat mm. meal or something, it takes me like half an hour to eat it. But I've noticed a pretty, dis- yeah. you know, pretty good, good difference. Mm-hmm. in the it just and i think you know and that and you can argue is not even mental health at all but it helps my mental health by it's clearly my beta- sure. metabolism sure it's just that clearly i i process food by sure. having it yeah and it's keeping you time. calmer by the yeah. fact that you're eating slower yeah because well. yeah. i think as well when if you have too much intake like i was doing where Which i was just, eating just too inhaling much, food yeah you just have a, a massive amount of energy for a small space of time whereas yeah. if you have a consistent amount of energy by just absorbing it for a longer period of time uh, it seems to keep my level. Well, you've made a pretty good, good segue because oh, nice. the next couple of pieces are Again, about it's like food we as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People think we'd planned this yeah, well yeah. before. <laughs> this is. <laughs> oh, I love you, Ricky, for saying that. Anyway, <laughs> okay, and yeah, this is very concerning. This piece about um, anorexia. Apparently, okay. a lot of young people with eating disorders feel that they are about to made to lose further weight, so their BMI has to be low enough to in order to get treatment. So basically, if you feel that an eating disorder is coming on, you go to your GP and, and show that you're worried, you're basically not eligible to get treatment because you're not reached a certain level to... Oh, oh my this goodness. really annoying. Yeah, this, this was a report really by the BBC. Really um, apparently, you know, we've got as many as 750,000 men and women in the UK who are affected by some sort of de- eating disorder. Um, but usually it's anorexia, ridiculous. bulimia... Are the main big ones, but you know. I love that. It's I love the fact that we're on a. I love the fact that we're on a scale. Yeah. The way that mental health is treated to go, you have to be on a certain number of scale to be treated seriously. That's right. When yeah. we should have an attitude of everybody should be yeah. treated seriously. Mm. Like I love the idea is as well. And I know I'm not. I'm not dismissing anorexia by saying this, but mm. it's it's across the board with mental health. This is one of the things I think I find most disconcerting is that, or disenchanting even is that 
is just that how you deal with mental health is how close to suicide you are. Mm -hmm. And I just find that so backwards because it's the idea of you're not a serious case when I always make the point of at the point of when you feel like you're going to head towards a long-term problem where it's destroying your life like it did mine. Yeah. There's so many examples I can give of you where I just feel that like if I got a little bit of help, consistent help, when it when the onset of my bipolar mm -hmm. disorder mm -hmm. was affecting my mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. I would not be yeah. needing treatment for a longer period mm -hmm. of time. But the problem is the short-term problem because it's not treated seriously, only becomes serious when you have a long-term problem. And yeah. by the fact it's exactly. not treated short-term, it becomes a long-term problem. Yeah. So how far down the line so, do you have to be yeah. noticed to How to far do you have to be to have yeah. a, a, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but it, it, let's be blunt. Like, how yeah. much do you have to have the gun in your throat to kind of sure, go to sure. have someone to say, yeah. I need help? Like, I mean, it's something all of us campaigners say is, is noticing them early signs. Yeah. And if we're not getting a professional to recognise those early signs, which we pick up on and encourage others to to recognize as well then we're you know we're, we're, we're stuck aren't we mm -hmm. i mean we're, it's just ridiculous i mean what do you feel i mean this this has been touched on in the show sharon but i'm, I'm really intrigued to to, to ask you as, as a as a trade-off is to just ask in terms of anorexia this is something that, that that's brought up a lot with the perception of you know it's mainly mainly women unfortunately to get this this thing of that you have to be a certain body type yeah. and it drives me insane because i, I don't I'm, I'm not speaking for you guys because uh, we got we've got uh, a guest a guest coming in a second but um I, anytime i've talked to guys i that they, they, they don't the, the the perception of what a girl should be or a woman should be is far from what a mm -hmm. guy actually wants a woman to be. Sure. Like, and I'm not saying like a, like a guy's a guy's opinion is what matters because what yeah. uh, the point I guess I'm making is women should want to be women have different body types and they should be there should be whatever body type that that dare I say God gave them whether you're religious or not yeah. but what your natural body type you, right. you know you should be comfortable with who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I like look I mean just just before you answer that is to just make this quick segue of to make this stupid joke of saying, Look at me, like I am like six foot one, but about five five foot eight of that is my legs. I'm a big <laughs> lanky ginger head uh like like beard yeah, yeah but i mean like you know i have you know like i had a beard at like 14 i'm a genetic freak <laughs> like you know and and i and as i say i hate my legs because i have long legs big thighs mm. mainly from playing football but like i have but the reason i have big thighs is because i've always had a, a big pelvic girdle like my hips right. mm. my hips have always gonna my hips are never gonna change so mm. my point is you know regardless of whether you know it's it's women have portrayed as this is that you know that's my body type yeah. i can do i can i can run 20 marathons mm. my hips are going to still be my hips because yeah. you can't change that yeah. Yeah. so what do you i mean i'm i'm, I'm no, really I, intrigued I, to know what you think no it's really it's it's, it's a, another fascinating subject isn't it because the uh, the media portrays that everybody should be sort of skinny up and down mm. women rather yeah. than curvaceous it's it's i mean it's getting better than it was yeah. but it, uh, it's still appalling um in what fascinates me is reading about endo and ecto body types. Mm -hmm. which, right. Um, if if you're not quite sure what they are, the um, let me make sure I say this right. I'm pretty sure I'm an endo body type, which is um, where you're basically sort of normal size, mm -hmm. semi yeah, yeah. semi athletic. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. the ecto is where yeah. you doesn't matter what you eat, you're always straight up and down. Mm -hmm. So if they're taught this those type of things at school. Mm. Um, you w knowing I'm never going to be straight up and down because I can never ever be that because my body type is a different type yeah. to being that. And when I've when I've spoken to men about 
this subject about what they actually like. Men always say they prefer the curvaceous women. So mm. women sort of starving themselves to think that they'll attract a, a well, fella is... I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that that's the only reason why... Yeah. Well, that's another, yeah. that's, that's another point entirely, isn't it? That, that, yeah. that, that, and I'm the not idea obviously of, endorsing that that no, is why course, people... But, but it's a valid point that it, yeah. it's a valid thing to say is that you know what I find fascinating about this is that why do women have to perceive what men want as well? They should just be That's whatever right. they want to be. You know, I'm not. Yeah. You know, because what I find interesting is this is something that I feel guys get a little leeway over. I, I at least feel this is that yeah, there's always going to be some numpty who's going to come up to me and say you know some stupid thing about you know I've got dreads and yeah. you know I'm ginger and I'm let's say I'm lanky. So you can yeah. you can you can say I've heard everything, and I, it doesn't bother me in the slightest because I'm happy with who I am. I've got tattoos and and and. Be, but I, I'm the comfortable I've ever been in that aspect because I just don't care anymore. Like, yeah. I, and and I, and I never really have to be honest. That's something I've never been fearful of. But what frightens me is that if I, you know, am I going to get to the stage of having a child who's a daughter, uh, my daughter, and then realize that it's still the same in ten years' time mm -hmm. as it is now? Because you're right. I think you made a good point that it has changed, but as it changed, it hasn't changed completely because no, you still see it's sort of become, oh, what I find interesting, instead of changing people, it's sort of become a fake body now. It's yeah. like, you know, they encourage that you, women should get plastic surgery to be what they should be, whereas, you know, I just think... Well, I, I work in the rag trade, as it were. All right, yeah, and exactly, yeah. I've always, I mean. I've always advocated ethical fashion in mm -hmm. all sense. I mean... Not totally, I, I am, totally. I couldn't... I, I, am, I am at times very ashamed of, of the industry in some ways, in ways that... I don't know if you remember a guy called Donald McIntyre used to do documentaries for the BBC. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, he he went over and did an expose over in Milan during Fashion Week. Yeah. And uh, basically there were 13, 14-year-old girls who were basically put out there. It was like a meat market. Mm -hmm. They were very sort of stick-thin. They were told they had to be a certain way. Yeah. I mean, and we've just been talking about eating disorders. I mean, th certain things like that can influence and bring on that behaviour, which of is course. very worrying. Yeah. I think Red Yates um, on BBC Four recently did one over in Russia. I like Red Yates. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's become a it's become a big problem. I mean, I'm with you, Sharon. I think you know, I'd love to go back to that sort of curvaceous way of thinking. That, you know, it's a funny phrase, isn't it? Curvaceous <laughs> way of thinking. <laughs> but Hello, so I'm Sharon. I'm <laughs> but this this brings on welcome. To, you're welcome in this part. Yeah, to more positive stories weird. that recently. I mean, <laughs> uh, a couple of campaigners on Twitter went into Topshop and were absolutely mortified by the mannequins which they had there they were basically just a, a size six yeah they're using like u.s standards of sizing that's right so they released a petition and then they've got top shop to change so that's a, a good yeah, why thing. do you that's good i mean why do you why it's just a really just quick stupid joke but to say you know why would you want your body to look like a vase like a, like one of them sort of like cups you know, sort of them old cups where it's just oh, sort like of thin FA, in the middle, the and then yeah, like they take the <laughs> FA cup, yeah, yeah. See, I, I remember that. Yeah, I remember back in the nineties, they used to call it heroin chic, where That's if you, really? if you, yeah, yeah, if you look phased out, if I think, um, um, it was the supermodels were called? Yeah, uh, if you, yeah. if you, if you caught, you know, looking stoned and you were yeah. looking phased out and stick thin, this was the in thing back then. That's right. And and you think that was twenty years ago, and things haven't improved really. That's right. oh, I mean, it, it annoys me. It's a bit like um. The, 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 I know this to me sounding related, but um, there's a board game club that I'm a member of that uh, New, Newcastle Radio, mm -hmm, BBC mm -hmm. Newcastle, did a, did a, a segment about, about mm -hmm. how, like, because uh, there was an article in The Guardian saying yeah. that board games were not relevant anymore. And the reason this, you reminded mm -hmm. me of this, is that 
I read the article and it was so bad. Oh, yeah. uh, and I made, I said, if I got interviewed with this, another friend of mine did the interview because, uh, um, like, because he, he he did it first. But if I got asked it, mm-hmm. one of the things I would say is that if you did this article twenty years ago, you would have had a point. But it's twenty years out of date yeah. mm-hmm. because board game industry is is absolutely sure. flourishing. Sure. It's one of the things that Kickstarter has given a huge benefit to. Mm-hmm. And I'm like ninety percent of the people who I mm-hmm. hang out with on a regular basis is because yeah. we're board game fans. Like, and 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 it's a huge industry now. Yeah. Um, it always was with certain things, but I mean, like, there's there's companies now that are becoming legit mm-hmm. companies because of that. And to just say, oh well, you know, I, like so many people go, well, I had Monopoly and I played chess growing yeah. up, and I don't now. Therefore, <laughs> nobody plays board games. It's mm-hmm. just like you didn't ask the very people who actually. Play. I mean, we have like hundreds of members now at gamers, and 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 I'm not like bragging that as to go oh, look at us, but that's a good number, mm. yeah. and we consistently meet. You could say a lot of things. Yeah. They said they predicted the end of radio when TV came out. Yeah. They predicted the yeah. end of vinyl when 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 your CDs came out, and you know yeah. vinyls are flourishing. I, now, I, I, so. I just yeah, think they don't like sort of outliving CDs. Yeah, in a way, isn't it? they don't really like the, the. I just don't think they use the term evolve. That's yeah. right, yeah. We just end up, of, it, it, it evolves into something else. Mm. I mean, radio has kind of become podcasting in a sense sure. because radio is online, but radio mm. or how radio stations combated that is the one on, or, or, as, we're, or, as we are right now. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. take advantage of the internet. Mm. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, that was awesome. Thank you for doing that. No we, problem. We, we, we're, on, we're pressed for time, obviously, because we were 20 minutes late. So what I want to do now uh, with having 20 minutes left of the show, as I see on the clock, is to get your, uh, get your guest in. Good, sir. Do you want to introduce... Uh, who you brought with us, brought with yourself today? I have the Sorry. pleasure of in- introducing here uh, Jason Wilkes, who was a ex soldier. He served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow, that's awesome. He was diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. and uh, he's come in to tell us about his experience and during and after since he's come back. So, say hi to Jason. Hi, Jason. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being on. So, what I think how this is going to work because you you um, got him in. Do you do you have any questions you want to say to him? Yeah, and I think what we'll to, do yeah. is we'll we'll just me and Sharon will just if we want to want to add uh, add anything to it, we'll do that. So, be awesome. Careful. Careful. <laughs> There's technical <laughs> errors. You dropped the mic. So, Jason, uh, just just give us a give the listeners a background about your tour of duty and how long you served, please. Cheers. Um, basically, um, I've served um, 21 years in the Royal Engineers, um, but um, unluckily for myself, um, back in 2006 uh, in April, um, it was actually on um, Good Friday, mm-hmm. and we were going out to do uh, a route recce for the Americans, because um, we used to do all the recce's for them um, whilst we were out there. And um, like you're saying, unluckily for us, um, someone decided to drive a suicide car bomb alongside my um, CVRT tank and um, blew themselves up. And it was then immediately after where you discharged. Was it after that? No, no. In in two thousand and six, you mean I, I spent a year on the sick, um, oh, okay. and I went back to work in um, two thousand and seven. And it was only um, February last year that I was medically discharged, yeah. um, suffering with post traumatic stress disorder yeah. and a couple of other things. Okay, so upon your return, um, what were your first symptoms? Your those telltale early telltale signs that you knew that something was wrong. Um, you mean I was injured in the April, um, and when I come home, um, like I say, I was at home with um, my mum and dad, and they were looking after me. Um, I sort of knew there was something wrong. Um, you mean I boxed um, for the regiment um, and different things, and um, I was in tune with the way I was feeling, uh, the anger and aggression and frustration I, I was on top of. But after the incident, coming home um, and sort of being left at home by the military, um, I noticed a, a change in 
the way I was thinking about things and how angry and frustrated I was getting. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I call it the flash to bang time. Um, something would happen and I would I would be angry and frustrated straight away. And also my parents mm-hmm. sort of knew. Um, and it was the, it was sort of September time when I actually got some help. Okay. Um, and just to give you guys and listeners some statistics here. Um, recent, I think it was on the BBC, but. Uh, back in 2012, there was like 5,000 soldiers who were used as case studies, and 74% of those uh, had a form of mental illness. Uh, that meant that one in five military personnel returning from Iraq and Afghanistan suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. So this is a lot m- com- more common than people realise. Um, yeah, it is, and you know, what I mean, the, the, you mean those figures are probably uh, a lot worse now. You mean yeah. combat stress? His figures mm. have gone up 50% with mm. people. And the MOD and the government are, are sort of um, not willing to, to release these statistics. Mm. They're just turning around and saying things are getting better. You know what I mean? I, I've been through it all and different things. I, I never got a lot of help and support mm. um, from this. Mm. And, you know what I mean, I think a lot of it's getting brushed under the carpet and, and the focus is more on um, visible injuries that you can actually yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, we'll get on to that in a sec because that was going to be another question, but... Just to compare things with um, over in America, who uh, obviously, uh, with the amount of wars that they've curtailed in, uh, come back with a lot of these problems, but every 65 minutes a veteran takes their own life. That's roughly 22 people a day. And in terms of the suicides happening over in America, uh, 20% of that accounts for veterans. But as you've just seen there, Jason, so in your experience, describe the comparison between soldiers seeking help for mental health and PTSD problems compared to those seeking help for physical injuries? Um, well, well, through, you mean, what I've been through and different yeah. things that are, um, with, with my condition, you mean, in, in the military, a lot of guys who were injured, um, who were amputees or anything, mm. I'd go through Headley Court, yeah. which is a fantastic facility, had a lot of money spent on it and different things like that. Myself um, and a lot of my friends who have got mental health problems, there's no hospital that we go to mm-hmm. or anything like that. The DCMHs, which is the top Department of um, Mental Health, mm-hmm. are in Catrick and, and they're spread all over, but they're actually struggling, struggling. they're laying people off and different things. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a massive, massive difference of the effect of um, people with mental health problems mm-hmm. compared to physical problems, and, and we're sort of playing um, second fiddle to a lot of it. It's amazing, isn't it? Because we talk about a Cinderella service between amongst you know, you you you, you guys and civilians that compared to people with physical injuries, we we are second fiddle. But it's interesting in the army community that goes on as well. Um, but in terms of, uh, I mean, I'll, my own my own experience. I mean, I've been diagnosed with PTSD as well. My issue happened within sort of suburban life, and this is why I like talking to soldiers like yourself because. Even though our experiences are quite poles apart, we share certain traits. I was speaking to Jason the other day, and we were talking about things like, you know, when trauma catches up on you, that we have these certain methods to cope, like, you know, hiding weapons under the bed, things like that. You can go to those extremes, and that's what it's, that's what it's like. So I would get those flashbacks as well. Um, how often were your flashbacks, Jason? Um, the actual incident that we, we were talking about with the knife and stuff, that was another incident I was involved in in 2009. Mm. There was a shooting incident in Northern Ireland where two guys um, were killed, and I was one of the first responders to that incident. Yeah. And um, basically, I started um, sleeping with, with a cookery knife under mm-hmm. my bed because I was, I was scared in case people were coming to get me or coming mm-hmm. to try and kill me. So that was the same sort of thing that, that, we, that we were talking yeah. um, to about that. You yeah. mean, 
um, I would sleep without knife every night on my bed. You know mm. what I mean? Just for those things. I, in a way, I sort of knew I was safe, but mm. I was subconsciously thinking that I wasn't safe. So that's why I did it. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was, you know what I mean? A lot of people didn't know this and different things. Like that, you know what I mean? But people mm. did. And um, I was given no help and support mm. um, while serving. And I was having these nightmares and flashbacks um, mm. every night and different things. Like that. And the quality of, of help and support that I was getting for the CPNs at time mm. was, was absolutely atrocious. Oh. I just want to no, it's just it's, this is something I, I when I when I read that you were coming on one of the things that that I wanted to ask you because obviously this is a this is a massively important thing and actually one of the things that my sister does is she's a historian and she she works she's a curator and she's currently moved to a Black Blackpool museum but she did Preston uh, the Harris Museum for quite a long time and one of the things that she's writing a book on actually is about help for, for war you know for war veterans for war, whatever however you want to phrase them um, and how like the charities helped in the second world war and various other things and one of the things that I read in school was regeneration uh, I don't know if you've ever read that book but it but the it was about Sinkford Sassoon and Wilfred Owens um, who served in the war how they got treated in a hospital after the war after being discharged and back into society that was the first um, world war though wasn't first it? world war yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like, my, my sister's the second one, and yeah, yeah, that was the first one, yeah. Um, and it blew my mind then mm-hmm. how they treated people then. Yeah. And yet you're here in the, the limited sort of... Because it's, it's almost... I don't know whether I'm right in saying this, but it, I have the perception of that it's sort of... We still are, are so unwilling to talk about what happens to people who go to war after the fact, like what happens to them when they get yeah, home. Yeah, because, you mean, a, a lot of it gets glorified and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Um but then what we left with is what we left with. And, you know what I mean, when you've got a mental mental health problem and stuff, there's such a bravado in the military that there's still a lot of stigma that's attached to it because people think you're rough, tough soldiers, you can go through anything. Yeah. Well, you mean I boxed, I was a hard man and different things. I didn't think this th- these sort of things would affect me, but but it did. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying to everybody, it doesn't pick who it's going to affect or who it doesn't affect. It just happens. Um, and, and, and so, you know what I mean, back in the First World War, Second World War, it was called battle shock and all these different other yeah. things. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, it's called PTSD, but people were getting executed f- um, for running away and different things. Yeah. That because nobody understood it. Where now we understand it, but we're still not doing anything about it. You know what I mean? This, While also th- giving horrible injections and basically told that they, they, they just need to get over it, which is, I suppose, without... Obviously, it's a horrible thing that you... You know, the horrible of what... The, the, how difficult war is, but... In a, in a sense, do you think it's fair to say that like it's, you're still fighting the stigma of the that it's yeah. it's not a it's a, not a problem that you know you just have to get over it and you have to try harder and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you, you mean you mean it. you just get the the the, the same old phrases and um, man up, get on yeah. with it and stuff yeah. like that. Which or I guess the, we both share. I guess yeah, the point I'm making. Yeah, you mean and like you're saying yeah. in the military, it's let's go and have a drink. Let's go and have a drink and what? Um, get drunk and have a fight, and that makes everything better. And this is this is the problem, you know what I mean? I, I stopped drinking because I had a few issues yeah. with my medication, but also I, I was scared of if I had a drink and I lost control, you know what I mean? I'm an unarmed combat instructor, I boxed, I'm a pretty big guy, when would you stop? So I took that, that equation away and stopped drinking and different things. Like that. But in the military, it's all about drinking. You know what I mean? Friends of mine have gone through the same sort of situation where they were just told, well, you mean stop being a wuss and pack it in with this PTSD and this depression stuff. 
Well, what sort of attitude is that? And these are senior people, RSMs, sergeant majors, people who were, who were supposed to be in charge of people in the military are doing these courses and, and basically saying how to look for PTSD, how to look for mental health and, and mm -hmm. signpost these guys in the correct way. It's still not getting done. It's okay, everybody coming out with these stats and statistics. The military is saying, yes, it's getting better, it's getting better and different things. You mean, let's stop saying it's getting better and let's actually do something about it. Mm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. to, to me, it's a bit of a joke. Well, I also think as well, and I think that that's, the, that's kind of the point you're making, is that to say it's better is to not say that everyone's being treated. Like, that's ultimately what the goal should be. The goal should be that everyone should be treated the same and get the same treatment uh, and the right treatment, but it appears that that happens in so many few cases that... Yeah, well, gets... you mean the military play lip service to it. Everybody yeah. understand, and you mean knows about the Army Covenant, and the Army Covenant's a bit of a joke. But what's wrote in the Army Covenant is that people who are amputees who should be getting the help and support and stuff. It's written in there that they get the pro the best prosthetics and everything like that. And yes, they should. But what also should be written in there as well is people with mental health problems should be getting the best treatment and the best healthcare. But they're not. Because what happens is, six months after you leave the military, you get no help, no support from the military wings when it comes to mental health at all. You're thrown on the same scrappy that everybody else is thrown on to the NHS who can't cope. Or the bigger charities are signposting you to combat stress, and that's the only place people are saying to go. Because these other little charities who are doing really good work within mental health and PTSD don't get a look in because the bigger charities are signposting you to a certain thing, and that's a problem. Uh, this is. I, I, I hope it is. This, it's a huge yeah. problem, isn't it? Yeah. I hope this doesn't come across as because I, I hope you understand the reason I'm asking this because, you know, you meant you made a really great point when you said that you're end you're ending up in in the same field as everybody else when you get back, because uh, I think for, for when you when you when you're talking about this, it all I I feel and I I suffer I have bipolar disorder and and I and I've had I've been in psychiatric wards and various other things, and. And I feel as as you're talking that you deserve, you know, I I, I don't really like this phrase, but you, if, if if anyone deserves special treatment, it should be people who go to war, you know, because you're doing something incredibly, te you know, terrifying. But you're you know you're serving your country and all that kind of stuff. And so I guess what I'm asking is, in relation to how how horrible and and tr you know difficult your job is, do you feel that you sh you should get, you know. A certain, like, for example, a hospital specifically for for discharged, you know, war heroes to come back, or or do you feel that it's just that the whole system needs to get better? The, well, you mean the whole system needs to get better? If we can, if we can do a hospital that's solely for people with physical injuries, surely we can do a one that's solely for people with mental health issues and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of my friends who are amputees tell us these great stories of when they were when they were down at Headley Court. The cake woman used to come around and give them cake. This person used to come along. Celebrities used to come along and see how good they were and different things. I, me and my friends with mental health problems, I haven't had any of that. Mm -hmm. or, or never will have any of that. So how is that supposed to make me feel? That makes me feel like a second-class citizen because I don't get that same sort of help and support. This is where things need to change. So you think we, it's even worse for you? With people with mental health, yeah. yeah. You mean you still you start playing catch-up? A lot of the mm -hmm. charities do the same. If you go to certain charities and stuff like that and have a look around their centres, there's loads of pictures of people with um, visible injuries mm -hmm. on there and stuff like that. And when you go in there, you feel as though that you're not worthy and you shouldn't be like that. And people turn around and say, well, it's not like that. It is. You need to speak to people with mental health problems and actually get it from their viewpoint, mm -hmm. not your own p viewpoint of sitting on the fence and think that you know best. You don't. But I'm just saying... Do you, uh, uh, yeah, I totally agree with all that you've just said. I'm just saying, 
do you feel that you get pigeonholed because you're from the armed like you're from the armed forces like do you feel that you, you get mistreated even more than than say either any of us um i don't know you mean you mean um you mean take this this for instance in america every, everything's a lot better in america when it comes to ptsd and mental health but not only that the way they treat their their injured servicemen you yeah. mean we were aware on a golf trip and stuff like that we're in this bar we we were on the telly because we've been we've been filmed by the golf channel and stuff like that and we were all clapping and pointing the guy come over and they said who's the boss i says oh the guy over there's the boss he says him and his friends would like to cover our bar tab all night because we're injured servicemen um, and stuff like that. Awesome. Not once has this happened over in this country. So mm -hmm. things in the country need to change as well. I know everybody thinks that we go over there and we're hurting people and different things. I, I've got a job to do. I don't care what if it was to do with oil, if it was to do with religion or anything like that. I got paid to do my job to make sure that my, my friends, my mates and the guys who served under me come home. I don't have a political view or anything like that. It's not about oil, it's not about that. It's to make sure that those the other 11 guys that were under my, under my charge came home safe to their families, and that was my sole job. And that's what made us in the British Army so good, because we just got on with our job, whether people were saying you had to work 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it was, we did it. I, d I don't care what the politicians say and different things like that, because I just had a job to do, and I had to get on with it. Whether it was about gold, money, oil, whatever it was, we were there to do a job, and that was it. That's why I think... I, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, Rick, uh, Ricky or Sharon, but I just think when when I hear when I hear Jason talk, it's just that I just I just think if anyone deserves any any you know special treatment for what they have to go through, yeah, it because should be of them. What, what they go through, because yeah. it's such a unique thing, you know. And Absolutely. and and the point, as you said, and I, you 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 spoken so eloquently when you said that, is just to say. Yeah. That you know he does something that I would never want to do. You know, I, think I, as well, I, I can't do. Like I, it, it scares yeah. living daylights at me. I think as well that if you, it doesn't matter what your politics are. Surely, returning soldiers, everyone should agree on that that they mm. deserve. Whether you agree whether they should have been out there or not, when they're on return, they deserve prior treatment. You well, we all should just care about human yeah. beings, yeah. yeah. Regardless of where they're from, yeah. we should care about what happens to people, yeah. Mm. And I just think that was such a great way of phrasing it. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm very passionate. Yeah, yeah. Mm. As to, have any, you guys any? I feel like I asked a lot of questions, but that was just on my mind. Do you got any questions at all? Or, um, I've you, just got one last one. Yeah, I, go just, for just, it. just to say, to ask Jason, um, how do you feel that? Do, do you think the arts has something uh, to? Because when we watched, we were talking outside about war films. Do you feel that the films itself don't really show this side? You know, Great upon questions. returning home, do they have a moral duty to show that? Because it's all very kind of victorious and quite patriotic, isn't it? The way it was sort of shown. Um, there is there is some there is some films out there that go into it. You know what I mean. Mm. Um, American Sniper goes into it. You know what I mean. Um, when Chris come back and stuff like that, yeah. the stuff he'd seen and different things like that, he was having problems with PTSD and mm -hmm. it was talked about. And there's other films that that it's talked about on there, but it still gets glorified in. You know what I mean? That he was the guy who did the longest shot, or how many yeah. people he killed, and different things. Like that so the focus wasn't about the mental health mm. and the problems and different things. Like that. You mean the guy who actually killed him in the end? He was having PTSD and mental health problems as mm. well. But it, it didn't. It sort of detracted from from that. You know what I mean? So you mean it would be ideal if they could do a blockbuster movie? You know what I mean? I don't know. They could do one about the incidents I've been involved in, yeah. but not so much about the incident. Mm. Let's do a little bit about the incident, and then let's do a bit about how the PTS affects me, how it affects my wife, how yeah. it affects my son, how it affects my parents and different things. You don't see that side mm. to it because you keep everything within your community, within your own community, and you don't yeah. want people to see when you're, when you're 
at your worst when you're crying, when you're upset, oh. when you've had thoughts of taking your own life. Because mm. we've all been there and stuff mm. like that. And, and, you know what I mean, I can only talk about it now is because I'm over it now. You know what I mean? I've got a wonderful family who, who care for me, and that's what keeps me going now. You know what I mean? If I didn't have that, I don't know what would sort of happen to me. So what would be your advice, just quickly, to, um, to people who are currently going through P- PTSD? Um, there's no need to suffer in silence. Um, there's people out there you can help you, who can help you, who you can talk to, and different things. I'd go and see your local GP, get signposted from there. You know what I mean? Like, there's no need to suffer in silence. There's plenty yeah. of people out there. You know what I mean? I, I just hope you mean one person who listens to this can take something from it and just think, well, you know what I mean? Jason's there talking about it. It helps me to talk about it, but mm. I just want other people to think, well, if he can talk about it and he's he's um, seeked help do exactly the same because that's the only way you can get help you know what I mean if you're an alcoholic and stuff until you admit you're an alcoholic you're not yeah. really going to get help mm. um, until you say look I've got PTSD or I think there's a problem and go and seek help you're probably not going to get help well I think I speak on behalf of everyone when I say that you know uh, I have a lot of, lot of respect for you and that's mm. um, and um, I'm completely overwhelmed by yeah. the fact that you're willing to to talk about it because I can imagine it's not easy, uh, especially in your field. But um, that it's resonated with me a lot. So thank you for sharing mm. your story. And honestly, as someone you know, I, 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 it sort of puts my 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 life into perspective because I talk openly about you know I have a very volatile bipolar disorder. And whenever I get any emails back saying that I've made a difference, it reminds me of why being open is incredibly important to share your story. So um, as I, I think, I'm just really really. You know, pleased that you've got the attitude of that it's worth talking about. So yeah. thank yeah. you for having that attitude. Can I just say one yeah, final thing? It, yeah. um, you know, what I mean, um, I, I play cricket um, for one of the um, charities and stuff. And if anybody's interested, we've got a charity game um, up at Wickham Cricket Club um, near the nice. Glebe Sports Club in, in Newcastle um, on Sunday, the thirtieth of August. Um, and I'm the captain of the cricket team, and I'll be there um, playing. And there's a lot of other, a lot of the other people on the team who've got mental health problems. So if you want to come along to that game, it starts at one o'clock. Get yourself along, and you can come and speak to the some of the heroes or legends, whatever Are people there like any to call us. Websites or social media we can take a look at. Yeah, if you go onto um, onto Wickham, um, you mean uh, Wickham CC on Twitter or uh, Jason Wilkes WWTW. That's my Twitter account. If anybody oh, wants to brilliant. look me up on there, it's Ooh, all on there. You may get a follow off me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, huge thank you for huge thank you for being so open and brilliant. And that I think I, I think it's safe to say. I mean, I, I loved every other part of what's been on with this kind of technologically barren yeah. show, uh, show. But I think you know, I think you've you've uh, that, that was the best thing that we've done today. So thanks, thank you thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I really appreciate much. it.